Well, my name is Bill White. I serve as pastor of the Christ Journey Church down in South Florida, Miami, Gables Campus, Kindle Campus. And as we begin a brand new series today, I wonder if you would join me in a prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight and helpful to your people. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to start, uh, I have a question for you, and I'm going to give you some options, but here's the question. If someone were to ask you, what is your image of God? What would you say? How do you see God? How do you perceive God? I, uh, I saw this cartoon during my study break, and it prompted the question. It's a uh, bowling pin people walking on a sidewalk, and there's got this poster overhead that says, Big Bowling Ball is watching you. There's a little scowl on the bowling ball. Is God the big bowling ball in your life? And you feel like a pin just waiting for him to knock you down. You know, how do you view God? There are so many perceptions, so many perspectives on this. Some see God as a good luck charm. You know, sort of like um, a new ager would keep a crystal close by. Some believers want to have a crucifix close by so that they can invite the good energy or the blessings in. God is a good luck charm. Some see God as an insurance policy. You know, you can't stop bad stuff from happening, so when it does, it's good to have it around. Or like a spare tire, you know, you, you don't use it every day, but when you got a flat, you want to have it handy. How do you view God? Is he your team mascot? Or do you think of God as, uh, as the hanging judge? You know, he's out to get you, holding a grudge. Or maybe you see God as your sugar daddy in the sky who's, trying to, who's just supposed to make you happy. Or is God a political convenience? Is God your imaginary friend? I've heard that said before. Is God the projection of your father longings, like Freud said, you know, that you just project them onto because you want one so badly? Or is God the Q&A guy in the sky? who's supposed to give you answers for the questions of life. And we do have questions, don't we? I mean, sometimes we just want to ask, why? 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 No, kids can't have coffee. Why? Because coffee is for big people. Why? Because um, little kids can't drink it. It makes you too hyper. Why makes me too hyper? Give me a little bit. No. Why? I'm not driving. Why? <laughs> because my mom's driving. Why my mom's driving? Why don't look like daddy's house? It's the same color like daddy's house. Why? Because the building is red. Why building is red? Um, because it's made of bricks. Why made of bricks? Um, because bricks hold up well and they don't fall. We're gonna leave soon, okay? Why? Because we've been here for a long time. Why? 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 Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? How does God feel when we always ask him why? Have you ever just wanted to ask God why? Now, all kidding aside, Jesus did. On the cross, Jesus, my God, why? 
why have you forsaken me? And I'll tell you, I've struggled with the question. And I've visited with many people about all of those options, I believe. But the story for us today is with a guy who knows that struggle. You may not be familiar with him. Um, I, so I want to introduce I want to introduce him to you. His his name is unusual. It kind of it, it kind of sounds like a sneeze, Habakkuk. Habakkuk, and it actually means wrestler. And in his three chapter story, we find him wrestling with God in the Bible, and with expectations that he has about God, with his perspectives on God. And then he brings many questions for God to answer. The story begins with a huge question. Here it is: How long, O Lord, must I cry for help, and you do not listen? Have you ever asked that? You ever feel like God's not listening? How long must I cry out, he continues. How much must I cry out to you? Violence. It's like he's hit the alarm and he's sounding it. We've got trouble. People are taking hits. And you do not save. Then question three and four, right out of the gate. Why do you make me look at injustice? I hate that. It's like, I don't want to look at it. Why do you make me, why do you tolerate wrong? Listen to this. Destruction and violence are before me, Habakkuk says. Strife and conflict abounds, and therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Does that sound like world news reporting tonight to you? Same world we live in, isn't it? And he's got the same questions we do, same questions you do about it. Chapter 1, verse 13, listen to this. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Now, this may seem a strange place to begin a series called Thankful, but I would say to you it's probably the place where most of us begin this journey this month. Maybe you're there today. Thank empty. We can, uh, we can be very thankful one day, and you know what? Thank empty the next, right? Hey, sometimes it happens to me between conversations. One conversation to another. Thankful, thank empty. But with questions. Why does God our righteous judge seem so slow to act you've wondered haven't you why does our authority figure seem so silent or so absent so uh, distant kind of like the school teacher who uh, on test day lets the misbehaving kids get away with stuff in class you know talking cheating but doesn't seem to notice it or stop it We've all wondered. And here's another big one from Habakkuk. How do the questions of his wrestling in chapter 1 become the poetic song of assurance in chapter 3? It's a powerful song of confidence and, and new commitment. In fact, his questions have given way to a new assurance. Listen to how the song ends. Though the fig tree does not bud, 
though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, and though there are no sheep in the pen and there are no cattle in the stalls, that's like saying the economy has gone, has gone, uh, gone away. I mean, the economy's gone bust. And it doesn't show any signs of recovery. He says, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Now that sounds a little more thankful, doesn't it? How in the world did our sneezy prophet Habakkuk get from chapter 1 to chapter 3? From complainer to rejoicer. From seeing God as absent overseer to a very present Savior. And I can tell you this, it's not because his circumstances have changed. People in Judah are still oppressing others, perverting justice, manipulating circumstance to their advantage. What happened? Well, a conversation in chapter 2 is sandwiched between 1 and 3, where Habakkuk listens as God speaks. And then from his time with the word of the Lord, Habakkuk finds himself changed. His perspective has changed. To the point that he's inspired to write a song. That's what chapter 3 is. It's a musical poem in chapter 3 where he uses a very special word to invite listeners to join in with him. Listeners, readers, that's you, that's me, into the song. The word is selah, selah. You know this word. Scholars say this is a mystery word of uncertain meaning, but was probably used to direct worshipers in participating. The word appears 71 times in the, books, in the book of Psalms and three times in Habakkuk's psalm. Now, some say it, it means lift, like lift your voice or lift your hands I'm wondering in context here if it doesn't mean lift your eyes. Let your perspective be lifted. Now, the first person ever to teach me about this word selah was Lila Wilson. Lila Wilson was an 81-year-old retired missionary. She was a shut-in in Winslow, Arizona, where I was um, in my young adult Christianity. She was a missionary, former missionary to the Philippines, and she mentored me. As a young person, she was kind of my spiritual Yoda to my Luke Skywalker in the faith. And when she and what she told me was, when I see that word, when I'm reading through Scripture, it's it's like the uh, the railroad crossing sign. You know how some of them have lights, but they they all invite you to stop, look, listen. She said, when you're reading your Bible and you see the word Selah, then you should stop, look and listen. Stop and look. Look means look at what you just read in your Bible, and then listen again for what message God is trying to give you. So I'm thinking, you know, we could interpret that simply to mean, check it out. Check this out. Habakkuk is writing a song in chapter 3 to say, check this out. And we see in the song what he learned from God that will help us as we struggle and as we wrestle 
with the circumstances and questions of our lives. The song is a prayer. Here's how it begins. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Oh, Lord, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. Listen, we could all pray that prayer, right? Do it today. Show up, God. And then he says this, and in wrath, remember mercy. Then he takes us into the song. God came from Taman, that means out of the east, like a rising sun to shine over Israel. A new day was dawning and the darkness was being pushed back. He says, the Holy One from Mount Paran, that's another name for Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, same mountain. It means the Holy God is coming from the Holy Mountain and His glory covers the heavens. His praise fills the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise rays flashed out from the fingers on His hand where His power was hidden plague went out before him pestilence followed in his steps he's got a wake behind him of fearsome awe it's a poetic remembrance of God coming to deliver the Hebrews from captivity in Egypt verse 3 barely begins this description of God's glory and did you see that word there's that word Selah stop stop look listen Check this out. Check what out? God came. God came. And God is big. Now, I know that there are times it feels like God is not around, like God's not listening, like God's not paying attention. But check this out. It has also been God's track record to enter the scene. And when he does, he shows up with power. His power is seen, and nations tremble, and mountains crumble. He is the eternal God whose glory fills the heavens, whose power is beyond the power of the sun. Check this out. The bigness of our God. Next verse 8. Did you rage? against the sea when you rode your horses and your victorious chariots. Now he's talking about the parting of the Red Sea, delivering the people of Israel from uh, the oppressive armies of Pharaoh, from the injustice of Egypt. And, and verse 9, you uncovered your bow, you, you showed your quiver, you called for many arrows, you split the earth in, with rivers and mountains saw you and writhed. Once again, poetic language. And that word, Selah. Selah. Hey, check this out. Check what out? Stop. Look. Listen. What are we supposed to see? God flexed. God flexed. And God is good. And his goodness was unleashed in righteous indignation. His anger was released upon the injustice and wickedness of his world. And just looking at him, Habakkuk says, makes you say, do you really want to mess with those guns? When, uh, when God in righteous wrath flexes, 
creation pays attention, and nations will too. Verse 13, God is on the scene now to accomplish his purpose. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness, and you stripped him from head to foot. And there's that word, Selah. Third time. Check this out. Check what out? God acted. God acted, and he made it right. Evil was crushed. Justice was done. God turned the devices of the evil one back on his own forces at the very time that they are gloating with pride about to devour the weak. God kept his promise and acted to make things right. I mean, that's the timpani roll build, you know, to the cymbal crash. That's the, that's the crescendo to the climax in the song, right? Yeah! So what you would expect next is Habakkuk is going to offer his high praise to God, right? But he doesn't. He doesn't. Not for two more long verses. What happened? Habakkuk tells us. He says, I'm undone. He's coming unraveled. He's emotionally distressed. Verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound and decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. It's a fearful thing to experience the holy living God in action, he's saying. God came. God flexed. God acted, and I was blown away. I was undone. I was coming unraveled. I started to fall apart. It was like suddenly I just realized how small I am. God is big, but I'm so small. And suddenly I'm aware at how at risk I am. God is good, and I'm not. The dry rot of self-righteousness is in my bones. He says, I suddenly saw how doubt and fear and impatience and pride need God's forgiveness. It's me, Lord, standing in the need of forgiveness. And so he says, in wrath, remember mercy at the beginning of the song. See, he wasn't talking about mercy in chapter one, was he? No. No, but he sure is in chapter 3. What's happened? Well, if this big, good God acts to do justice and to crush evil, you know what Habakkuk is suddenly aware? I'm at risk. God's not going to play favorites. We're all at risk, aren't we? Isaiah was right when he wrote, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. David was right when he wrote in Psalm 14, there is no one who does good, not even one. Paul was right when he wrote, when he said, all have sinned, have missed the mark, have fallen short, and fall short of the glory 
of God, Romans 3, without mercy. They're saying, you know, we're all in trouble. I am, so are you. I think it was this realization that gave birth to Habakkuk's new perspective, to his new humility. So this is what he says, I I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come. God, just take your time. It's like he's saying, you know, I think I'll just sit down and I'm going to stop trying to be God on this one. I, I think I'll just wait, you know, wait patiently and let you be God on your timetable. And then as he does, here's the thing. He finds himself in a deepening place, relationally connecting to God. You know, we have much in life to give us pause, to give us questions. But those moments can be moments of lift, of stop, look, listen, of check this out. How can we do that? Maybe you're in one right now. How do you do what Habakkuk says? Selah. Check this out. Well, we can do what Habakkuk did. You can pray. You can talk to God about it. You can take time in his word. You can reflect upon how God has shown up in the past, in the ancient past and in your personal past. Then you can make a list. Make a list. Write it out. That's what he did. And then check it twice. And then see where God has been for you there in the past and then meditate in the present on his goodness and power in spite of how things seem. And then as you do, you know what you're going to want to do? You're going to need to pour out your complaint. Then do it. Bring it. God's not going to be upset. He never shames Habakkuk for caring about injustice. And God will not judge you either for bringing your pain. But as you're spending time in God's presence, you may want to have a pen handy so that you can read, you can write, you can reflect. Habakkuk wrote that song. In fact, God tells him in chapter 2, I want you to write this down so that what you learn here you can share with others and then they can join in. Hey, that's what we're doing right now. Because he wrote his journey down, we get to journal with him today. Maybe journaling is a way for you to reflect upon God's place in your life right now and then let him show up in a new way. But take God at his word and then soak in it. Spend some time there. And then choose to go with God. Here's the irony. Even if going with God means waiting. (laughs) means waiting patiently right where you are. And then while you wait, make space for grace. In wrath, remember mercy, Lord. I mean, in chapter 2, you know what God essentially says? It's all a matter of time, Habakkuk. Justice is coming. Woe will befall the wicked I will be faithful to my promises. And then from that experience, what Habakkuk takes is a new lift in life, a new perspective in life. He starts moving toward thankful from thank 
empty in three ways. First, there's a new focus, verse 17. Even if my crops fail, my livestock doesn't reproduce. Even if I go hungry, my eyes have been lifted. Verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. Not in my circumstance, not in my troubles, in the Lord. That's a new focus. My eyes are on you, Lord. And then there's a new faith. He calls God my Savior. And then in verse 19, he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He's declaring faith in God's saving strength. Have you done that? Do you know God in his saving strength to save you from the penalty of your sins, to save you from the power of death, to save you in Jesus Christ as your Savior? By the way, most theologians say the most profound theological truth of the book is found in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where he says this, the righteous will live by faith. That thinking turned Paul, the Pharisee Saul, into the Apostle Paul by turning his world right side up. That verse, that truth, took Martin Luther, a German priest, into a right-siding up of his world as one of the leaders of the Reformation. In fact, this verse has been called the verse of the Reformation. When, uh, when you put your faith in Christ, it'll turn your world right-side up by the saving strength of God. And then from his new faith, Habakkuk gets a new footing. This is what he says. It, for, an, uh, for facing uncertain times, verse 19, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he enables me to go on the heights. Do you feel the thank empty giving way to some more thankfulness? If I were sitting over coffee with you right now, here's what I would say to you. When you feel small, when you feel like your life is in a mess, and maybe even the messes of your own making. Trust God. Take him at his word. Think about how big he is. Think about how good he is. And then soak in it, how faithful he has been in your past. And then believe in the present that he is here for you right now. Even in the questions that you bring, even in your question, why? Why? Why should you believe that? Well, the greatest answer we have is on the cross where Jesus brought his question because he felt Father God was absent, was silent, and yet he kept trusting. He kept pushing through the pain, even through death to what? To new heights of resurrection on the other side as God's faithfulness was shown in its fullness. Listen, God's not done. God's not done with you. God's not done, and neither are you. Here's the point of my whole talk right here. Faith in God's faithfulness will fill your thank full. Faith in God's faithfulness will fill your thank full. Is your, are you thank empty today? And instead, full of questions, full of complaints. 
the opportunity to get to chapter 3 happens through chapter 2. Maybe you're in chapter 1, but God wants you to move forward. Would you pray with me? Magnificent and almighty God, we worship you in the glory of your holiness, the majesty of your might. We are so thankful that you love us, that you bring your goodness to our lives to deliver us from evil. Focus the eyes of our hearts more clearly on you as we trust you, come what may, and lead us to higher ground. And this day, this moment, this time, Lord, forgive our sins, cleanse us from unrighteousness, and lead us in the way that leads to life and new fullness. Now, friend, if you're on the front end of your spiritual journey and you would like to know how can I enter into a personal relationship with God, it happens through prayer. One as simple as this. Lord Jesus, forgive my sins. I believe you died because of love for me. And you rose from the dead so that now your spirit can come alive in me. Come into my life. Be my savior. And lead me as I turn from my way to walk with you in your way. And experience the fullness you have for me. In your name I pray. Amen.